So have, uh, have any of you ever spent much time in international airports? You guys been in an in inter, international airport? I mean, it's, uh, I love being in international airports. It, it's, it, it's really fun and exciting for me. One of my favorite things to do is uh, when I'm walking de- through the terminal, I, I read where each, each gate is going, where each plane is going, and I usually wish that I was going to that place instead of the place that I'm really going. Because it seems so exotic and, and fun and exciting, and you see people wearing all kinds of different clothes and, and wearing different things. The, the best international airport I've, I've ever been was when we were in Dubai. I mean, it was in the middle of the, the Middle East, and so there were flights to, to Asia, there were flights to Europe, to all over Africa, and then always all through, through, through China and Australia. It was this big hub, and, and so... It was filled with all kinds of very interesting people. And I loved being a part of that. I loved being in that place. In the ancient Near East, the the city of Ephesus was a lot like an international airport. It was this this capital city, this port city. Uh, It was the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire with more than half a million people in this one place. But because of its location, it had people from, from all over the Mediterranean and from North Africa filtering through this one city. But it also had people coming all the way from the ancient Near East, from the Middle East, from different parts of Asia, from uh, where today is would-be Russia, pouring through this one hub from, from Greece, from Rome, from Europe. They all met in this one place. And Paul on his third missionary journey, spends time in Ephesus. In fact, he spends a couple of years in this city. And what you need to remember is at least in a previous life, Paul would not have been excited to be in Ephesus. If you remember, before his conversion, Paul was the Jew of all Jews, the Hebrew of all Hebrews, And he wouldn't have been excited about the different food in Ephesus. He wouldn't have been excited about the different people and the different languages and the different customs. But as a Hebrew of Hebrew, Paul would have been repulsed by even the idea of Ephesus. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul describes himself as being circumcised when he was eight days old, a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, a member of the tribe of Gentiles, Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. He was a member of the Pharisees who demanded strict obedience to the Jewish law and harshly persecuted anyone who did not share his zealous Jewish beliefs. Paul, Paul before his conversion, was the embodiment of the tension and the racism and the animosity that existed between Jews and everyone else. And a Jew, a true Jew, a Hebrew of Hebrews, their role was to determine who was a part, uh, who was in, who was a part of God's family and who wasn't. And their whole life, every day, was try to draw that line, to make the distinction of this food is okay, this food is not. These people, my Jewish friends, my Jewish neighbors, they're all okay. They're chosen by God. They are sons and daughters of God, and you are not. 
Literally, the Jewish job was to discern what was holy and what was unholy. And if you're not Jewish, you fall in that unholy category. Or you might receive the title Gentile. And this is not a, a, an endearing term. But the root of Gentile, the word literally, if you look it up today, it just means not Jewish. And it, it should mean Gentile just means not good enough. Because a Jew would have nothing to do with someone who is not Jewish. And if you remember, Paul is zealous in, in his pursuit of Jewish life, of the Jewish oneness, of the Jewish promise. Do you remember this? Even, even uh, persecuting Christians previous conversion, uh, standing beside and agreeing with the, the murder uh, of Stephen. He's going in and chasing down Christians to punish them and kill them. Any followers of the way, he is after them. And if that's his attitude towards Christians, what do you think Paul's attitude towards Gentiles was? Some of the writings we have from this period, the Jews refer to Gentiles as not being human refers to Gentiles as beasts. They're not human. They're animals. And if a Gentile was to ever strike a Jew or hit a Jew, the Jew's responsibility was to kill the Gentile. And so... Even though Paul has gone through this great conversion and has become a, a new follower of the way, you know he had to be uncomfortable in Ephesus, right? With all of this different food and language and people, all of these things he had spent half his life avoiding and criticizing. And so no one is more surprised than Paul when God sends this Hebrew of Hebrews on a mission to Ephesus International Airport. And the only thing more shocking than God sending Paul is the message God gives Paul to deliver. I want to walk through uh, the book of Ephesians where, where Paul writes this letter after being in Rome and in prison, he thinks about his time and his friends and his converts in Ephesus, and he sends them this letter. And I just want to walk through some of this. Uh, I don't have time to, to read you the whole book. But God sends this Hebrew of Hebrews, post-conversion, to Ephesus International Airport. And he begins by in, uh, talking in chapter 1 all about the grace and the power of God's grace. And then in chapter 2, verse 11, he says... Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. And he goes on to chapter 12. He says, in those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship. This would have been something Paul's very familiar with, right? You fall in the not good enough team. You lived in this world without God and without, what's the word? And look what he says in verse 13. But now... You have been united with Christ Jesus once you are, what's the next two words? Far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. 
In verse 19, it goes on to say, So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers. You Gentiles are no longer foreigners. But you are citizens along with all God's holy people. You are members of God's holy family. Are you getting the power of this message now? Holy cow, I can't believe what he just said. It's incredible. And look, it continues in chapter 3. Chapter 2 just kind of sets the stage for, for the next chapter. In verse 2 of chapter 3, it says, Paul says, God gave me this special mission, this special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles. He goes on and say in verse 3, that God revealed his mysterious plan to me. God himself revealed it to me. This is his plan and this is his mission that he's given me. In verse 6 he says, and this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Jews and Gentiles equal. Both becoming children of God, both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promises of blessings because they belong to Jesus Christ. In verse 7, it says, By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this. What's the next two words? And what's the simple good news? Once you weren't good enough, but now you're in through the blood of Jesus Christ and his grace. In verse 12, it says of chapter 3, because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. You remember what it said in chapter 2? It said, once you were far away. But now, because of Christ, the good news that I get to share is once you are far away, but now because of Christ, because of his grace, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, all of you who are far away have been brought near, have been brought into God's own family, into God's very presence. And this really paves the way for what he's about to say next. In chapter 4, verse 1, it begins with one word. What's it say? Therefore. Now, this is a loaded word. This is a big word. It means based on everything that I've just said in the last three chapters, based on this incredible message, in the, in the light of this incredible message, it, with, with the full weight of what has just been said, because you once lived without God and without hope, because you were far away from God, but now through the incredible grace of Jesus Christ have been brought near, therefore, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Because you have been brought near, I beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling you've received. I'll let you read chapters 4 and 5 for yourself. But in chapter 4, Paul goes on to say, Live no longer as the Gentiles do. Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life. Instead, put on a new nature created to be God, like God. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do. Live a life of love following the example of Christ. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand your calling. For you have been called. Understand what the Lord wants you to do. 
And then at the end, he talks about the power of marriage and submission to each other. And these people who are going to live out this new calling that they've received. God, uh, Paul says, put on the full armor of God as you take on this mission. Put on the full armor of God and pray for boldness. And that's Ephesians. That's the story of, of what God is doing in this incredible place. And I tell you all of that to, um, to talk about David Browning just for a minute. And I know he's sitting here. So if you've been around David very much uh, in, this, uh, in this past year, you've probably heard David reference Ephesians chapter 4. Um, he's been beating me over the head with it for months and months and months and months, um, in a good way, in the best way. Um, it, it keeps coming up. And what I want to say about that is... Um, I think God is working through David as, as one of the, the elders of this church, as one of the leaders of this church. I think uh, what has happened in David over especially this last year is that God has filled David with a holy discontent. I think through David and others, for sure, God is bringing a new mission to Aspen Grove Christian Church, or maybe not a new mission. And David is so far the one who senses it, knows it, feels it the most. And what I want to tell you as we enter into 2015, a shift is coming to Aspen Grove Christian Church. Maybe you, you have some sense of it, or, or maybe you have no sense of it at all. But Aspen Grove this year, we're going to be entering into a new season of, of growth and change. And we're going to be taking um, a big step. Uh, Rick Warren, you, you guys know Rick Warren, the, the purpose-driven everything. Sometimes I really like Rick Warren. Sometimes I'm like, look, brother, you're killing me. Um, and so you probably feel the same way about it. Uh, anyway, um, these preachers can't be trusted. Um, Rick Warren... Uh, uh, asked this question. He asked, why did God not take us straight to heaven when we're baptized? Why does God, God not take us as soon as we become Christians, as soon as we give our life to God, why doesn't God just pluck us up and take us straight to heaven? Have you ever thought about it? Because that question has everything to do with what do you think God left you here to do? Everything about that question is, uh, centers around this idea of why are you alive? Why are you here? I love the way uh, the Scottish pastor William Arnott answered it. He put it this way. Go ahead and put it on the screen. He said, the simple fact that a Christian is on earth and not in heaven is proof that there is something for him. Read those next three words. The reason that you are here and not in heaven is because there is something here for you to do. There is a mission for each of us. You remember Paul is called 
on this incredible mission. And then it's a mission that he turns over and he gives to the Gentiles. And in the same way, God has a mission for us. Call it, uh, you, can, you can call it discipleship. You can call it, uh, it goes by a bunch of different names, evangelism. You can call it witnessing. You can call it growing followers of Jesus Christ. But chapter 4 of Ephesians in verse 1 says, Therefore, we are to lead a life worthy of the calling, worthy of the mission that God has set before us. We have been called by God to be on mission. God's plan for this world has become our calling. God's desire for this world has become the calling of everyone who calls themselves a Christian. God's plan has become our calling, our life mission. And this is the Great Commission. And this is what our calling is. In the simplest ways that I can explain it. In chapters 2, verses, I think, 10 and 11 of Ephesians. The reason we are here on earth is to accomplish this mission, to fulfill God's greatest desire, and that is to draw those who are far from God near. For all of those who don't know them, who feel on the outside, who don't know God, God's greatest desire is for those people to be a part of God's family, and our mission is to help them get there. Are you with me? And this is where Aspen Grove is going. We're beginning this new series today. It's called Life on Mission. And for the next three months, we're going to start diving into this idea of how do we do this? How do we live this out? And I know all of you already agree with this idea, of, with the ideas of discipleship. I know all, you all already are on board with the ideas of it, but we are hesitant about how do we do this, and we, we have all of these hesitations. And so really for the next three months, starting today, first Sunday of 2015, we're going to be talking about a life on mission, answering God's call for our life every week all the way up to Easter. And we have a couple surprises on the way, so you should definitely be worried. Our, whole, our, our small group series that's going to be beginning in February is going to be, what does a life on mission look like? How am I living it? Really, this whole year is going to be us leaning into this calling, this mission. And I know what you're thinking. Uh, if you were like me, even when, uh, when some of this started to ruminate and come out of some of our conversations with David, there was um, walls started going up. <laughs> and maybe you feel that right now in, inside of yourself. Okay, Adam's sending us on mission. <whistles> Not me. Because uh, surely he doesn't mean me. And, uh, I, you know, I just don't know enough about the Bible, and I have enough struggles in my own faith. How am I supposed to talk to somebody else about their faith? And, and, and I just don't know how. I don't even know where I would start. I mean, life on mission, surely he's just talking about Adam. He's not talking about me. He's not talking about us. He's not talking about my office or my family or my neighbors. I know what you're thinking. Adam, you have picked the wrong guy. 
But do you remember who God sent into that international airport? The Hebrew of Hebrews. Some might say the, the worst possible candidate. He had a horrible history, a horrible background. Don't you think Paul ever tried to explain to God, you know, I'm really not the right guy for this job. Don't you think that Paul, maybe like you, doubted God's calling, that he doubted God's mission for his life? Don't you think he ever said, boy, have you got the wrong guy for the job? And so no one was more shocked or stunned or overwhelmed by, by, uh, by God's calling for his life than Paul. Paul can't believe it. And over and over, uh, if you read Ephesians, I challenge you to read it this week. Paul uses this phrase. He, he, uh, it happens again and again and again. Paul says, when I think about all this, and what he's doing is he's putting his hands on his head and he's going, when I think about all this, I, I, I don't even know what to make of it. Look what he says in, in chapter 3, verse 1. He says, when I think of all this, I, me, I can't believe God chose me. I'm, I'm sure I love Christ, but God chose me for the benefit of you Gentiles. And he goes on in the next few verses and says, God has given me this mission. God has revealed this plan to me. And so what I want to tell you this morning is this idea of life on mission. This is not about paid ministers or expert theologians uh, going out and winning the world for Christ. This is about us. This is about you. God has chosen you. In the same way he chose Paul, in the same way Paul passed that mission on to the Gentiles, God has called you for this mission, and you are perfect for the job. I know maybe you don't think so. And in Ephesians, in chapter 2, verse 10, it says, For we are are God's. What's the word? God doesn't make junk. You are his masterpiece, and he has created you anew in Christ Jesus. Remember what he tells the Gentiles, to throw off that old way of life so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. That's mission language. Am I right? God has a mission for you. You were saved by Jesus Christ for something. Do you believe that? So I'm going to invite the worship team back up, and I just want to share a few more thoughts with you. For many churches in America, this idea of discipleship or evangelism or just taking people who are far from God and drawing them near, it's been the elephant in the room. How many of you were, were really taught how to make disciples in the churches you grew up with? How many of you were taught that it's good for us to make disciples? Yeah, we were all taught that. But, but the how-to, the practicality of, of how, do I, how do I really talk to my office mate? Or where do I start with, with my neighbor? 
And what do I do with people I don't like? For too long, the American churches, uh, we've sat idle. We've kind of allowed this, this disobedience to God's calling kind of, kind of sit there and kind of rest there. And we've become very comfortable with, with a lot of things about tradition but at the same time, there is something deeper. We've been frozen in our fear before God's call and mission. And the message I have for you, the message I have for every single one of you this year is not this year. Not Aspen Grove this year. This year, we lean into God's calling. We embrace it. We, we take steps more than we ever have before. I love the quote from, uh, from Mark Twain. It's very popular. You've probably heard it. But he says, the two most important days of your life are the day you are born and the day you find out why. The calling, purpose, life mission of every Christian is to grow followers of Jesus Christ and make disciples. Through the grace and power of Jesus' own blood, seek out those who are far from God and bring them near. And this year, more than any other in the history of this church, we are going to take God's mission for our lives seriously. And uh, there's going to be some side effects. Because if we're serious about this call, if we're serious about this mission, then it's, uh, it's likely to cave in the walls of your comfort zones. So just get ready. And it's likely to require more, more courage, more faith than you've ever had need of before. Trust me, because you're not going to be able to do this on your own. But if we do this, I think it will be the most rewarding, fulfilling year of your life. Do you believe it? This is the shift the step, the mission we are entering into this year. One big question. Are you with me? I want an answer. Are you with me? As we start into this year, I want to share a prayer with you. I want to pray I want to pray this prayer for you. It's a prayer that comes out of uh, Ephesians chapter 3 verses 14 through 21. Right before Paul hits the Gentiles with this great calling. Live out the calling that you have received. You are called by God. Right before he gives them the same mission, he, he reveals God's plan and he gives the Gentiles the same mission that he was given. Paul says this prayer for them, and I want to say it for you today. So my prayer for you, my prayer for each of you, I pray that from his glorious and limited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand as all God's people should how wide and how long and how high and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church 
and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. And the whole crowd said, Amen. As we sing this next song, I invite you to consider God's call. I'm not going to be surprised if it's already been stirring in you a little bit. I feel like God's been preparing our church for this year, for this mission, for a long time. So as we sing this next song, maybe, uh, maybe you're someone who feels far from God or overwhelmed by this. Uh, if you're that person that feels distant, we want the chance to pray for you. Or if there's a way that we can uh, pray for you or encourage you, I'm going to invite you to stand and sing. And if you want to respond, I'll just move to the back and receive you there.